Pastor Ed Taylor on how God often uses pain and suffering in our lives. Pain and suffering often awake a person to the reality of God. And it's something that we wish could happen another way, but God uses pain and suffering in our lives. Because, you know, you know, most people aren't thinking about God every moment of the day, all day, every day. Even many believers are not thinking about God all day. Why? Because we live life. And life has a way of crowding itself into us and pressing us in. I mean, if you ask somebody if they believe in God, they'd probably say yes and have a discussion about God. But generally, God is not constantly on our minds all day, every day. But rather, there is episodes in our lives that awake us to the presence of God. Because most of life is just a daily grind. This is amazing grace. Some of you listening right now have suffered like you've never suffered before in recent months. With the virus making its way all around the world, life has changed dramatically. Some have lost loved ones, others their job or business. We've had shutdowns and quarantines. Anxiety has elevated to new levels. Today on Abounding Grace, we're talking about suffering in the Christian life. Pastor Ed Taylor will show us how Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered and how we can too. Yes, God can even use that crisis you're facing in ways you might not expect. You take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter five as we're working our way through verse by verse through this book of Hebrews. And if you haven't already, write down somewhere near the word Hebrews, Jewish Christians, because that's who the letter was sent to in the first century, Jewish Christians. And there was a group of men and women who embraced Jesus Christ as their savior, the Jewish Messiah, the savior of the world. They, they received the fullness of what God promised to them by faith in Jesus Christ, just like you and me. You and I, we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, the forgiveness of our sins, and by faith in him, you have everything that you need for life. You lack nothing, I lack nothing in life by my faith in Jesus Christ. He covers all the bases. He is the fulfillment of all of God's plans. And he is the only way that a person can receive the forgiveness of sins from their creator. He's the only way. There isn't two ways, there's not five ways, although I know that the world is filled with religions and philosophies, but there isn't a religion that can save you. There isn't a philosophy that can save you. You can't read a book that can save you. Only God saves, and the only way that God saves is through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus would say it this way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's in John chapter 14, verse six. So there's no other way available. And that is the, the theme of the Bible. But even more so, the theme of Hebrews, the mega theme of Hebrews, is that Jesus is greater. 
Or you could even say that Jesus is the greatest. And that's the word that the Hebrew believers, the Jewish Christians needed to hear because they've been tempted to turn backwards. For them, backwards meant going back to the religious system of Judaism, which when you think about it, doesn't make much sense because if they went back to Judaism, Judaism would teach them that Messiah has come and when Messiah has come, they would go back. It would be this vicious circle. For us today, we see that temptation to go backwards is something that we've termed, and the Bible even uses this word, backsliding. There's always some temptation, always something trying to pull our attention away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And we've been taking what they've been learning in the first century and applying it to our lives today. Because the Bible, although we're separated by thousands of years from the people and the authors of the Bible, it is just as relevant today as the day it was written. It, is, it speaks just to the things even here in the 21st century, just like it was when the people that were, it was written to was received. Because it was written to all humanity. But it has a context and it has an audience. And that's what we've been studying in our time together. So now in chapter 5, in all of the things that we've been learning about Jesus, we learned that he is our great high priest. In our previous studies, we saw the importance of the high priest and how he was the man that represented people to God and God to the people. The high priest was also the one that would take the blood of the bull and the goat into that holy place and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in order to cover the sins of the people by faith for the year which explains to us why Jesus would come and be declared to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins. He's the fulfillment of all that was written before. So let's pick up in verse one by way of review and we'll cover a few more verses today. In verse one of chapter five it says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also beset by weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. And we studied that in depth in the last few studies. Nobody takes the role of high priest to themselves. They had to come through a family. Aaron his son Levi, his son Kohath. That's the only way that a high priest could be appointed. And nobody could take that upon themselves. We learned that from our time looking back at the Old Testament when Korah stood up and said, I want to take that upon myself, and God would have none of that because it's God that raises up one and puts down another. So notice now in verse 5, it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So there's five things I want to show you today of the role of Jesus as a high priest. And number one is right here in verse five. Jesus was appointed. He was appointed this position. He, by God himself, Jesus was appointed to be the high priest. It was a sovereign call of God the Father upon his life. And he was not high priest Jesus because of genealogy, but instead it, he was a high priest by a better relationship than his earthly priest ever had. And therefore he's greater. Number two, look at verse six. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So number two, we learn that Jesus is a forever high priest. He is going to be a high priest eternally, 
unlike human high priests, who they would fulfill their responsibility, they would die, and another high priest would come. They would fulfill, and so every, all the time they would cycle through high priests. That's not the, the case with Jesus. He is an eternal high priest, according to this, the order of this guy by the name of Melchizedek. Now just set that aside, because I know there's a lot of questions about Melchizedek. We'll get to him in chapter 7. And we'll explain a lot more about him. But we just see here in verse 6, it's according to a different order. And we'll explain him in another study. Notice number 3 in verse 7. Still speaking of Jesus. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Now we learn here that Jesus qualifies as a high priest because he was fully human. Did you see that phrase? The days of his flesh. You see, Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He is 100% God, and he's 100% man. And he had days of being in a human body. And what that tells us is that Jesus existed before he was in the womb of Mary. He had his days of flesh, but he's eternal because he's God. And so it was in these days of his flesh that qualifies him to be a high priest. Because he was a human being, just like he was not just the sinless son of God, he was also the sinless man. And he prayed, and he offered up tears and cries, as we'll get to in a moment. Number four, notice verse eight. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And so number four, Jesus experienced life like you and me. Even though he was the begotten son of God through his life, death and resurrection, and his ascension, Jesus completed the work necessary to save us from our sins. And he alone is the source of life. And he learned obedience. Now, as God, he learned nothing. But the author is telling us that through his suffering, he exper- the suffering he experienced, he learned by experience the issues of humanity like you and me, just like you and I learned things through suffering, so did Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse nine and 10, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, would you please circle the word eternal? Your salvation is eternal. Jesus Christ is the author. Aren't you glad it doesn't say he's the author of your temporary salvation? I mean, how bad would it be if you lost your salvation every time you made a mistake? How bad it would it be? I mean, think about it. Just even in this room, how many mistakes were made? I mean, even when you were thinking bad about me before being a Dodger fan and you lost your salvation. That wasn't very nice. Think about all the mistakes. You know, listen, you have eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. You are secure in him. It's his work in your life, not your works that matter. It's his work. So praise God, you never read in the Bible somebody born again, not born again, born again, not born again. Not, what a crazy life you would live. When you are saved, you enter into eternal salvation. Nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Nobody can separate you from the love of God. And that should build confidence in you that it's Jesus' finished work, not your works. Because if it was up to our works, we would all be toast. It would be over. And so he's the author of eternal salvation, and his work is much greater, which reminds me, does it not, that there's a far greater purpose in your life than what you see today. There's a far greater purpose in all of the events of your life, the good, the bad, 
the challenging, the easy. You know, verse 8, I couldn't help but park myself on verse 8 for a time as I was preparing this. Just to think about my Savior and what he's done for me. That in the life that he lived on earth, I notice in verse 8, even though he was a son, and you notice that's capital S, even though he was God, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. That my Savior suffered for me and for you. And God used that, the Father used that in his human life by experience to learn to relate to you and me on a level that only he could. Listen, pain and suffering often awake a person to the reality of God. And it's something that we wish could happen another way, but God uses pain and suffering in our lives. Because, you know, you know, most people aren't thinking about God every moment of the day, all day, every day. Even many believers are not thinking about God all day. Why? Because we live life. And life has a way of crowding itself into us and pressing us in. I mean, if you ask somebody if they believe in God, they'd probably say yes and have a discussion about God. But generally, God is not constantly on our minds all day, every day. But rather, there is episodes in our lives that awake us to the presence of God. Because most of life is just a daily grind. (laughs) It's just the same things every day. You know, life has its pressure. We have to work. We've got to eat. We've got to clean the clothes and fold them. We, we've got kids to take care of. We've got our singleness in our lives. We, we've got to go there. We've got to pick that up. We've got to go grab some milk. We've got to head to the mall. We're taking a vacation. We get a new car. There's rent to pay, mortgage. There's bills to be concerned about. There are family issues here today, work issues. There's neighbors. There's memories. There's fears. There's anxiety. The world that we live in is repetitive and mundane and quite ordinary. And life has a way, life has a way of lulling us to sleep, both spiritually and practically. Even the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus rebuked them and he said, you guys look at the sky and tell the weather, but you don't even know the days in which you live. And one of the reasons is, is they were just going through the motions. And I think that that's pretty much how life is at times. That is until tragedy strikes. And until difficulties come, things change. Tragedies, personal pains, national pains, sin, evil, crisis, it hits hard and it hits fast. And it takes no prisoners. Pain is knocked at our front door and moved right in without our permission. And you know what? There's something about pain in our lives and suffering is not only does it move in without our permission, it refuses to leave. And so it's a daily issue in some of your lives and mine. And it causes us to cry out to God. And it awakens us to a need for God. You know, things in our lives at that point, we just start asking questions about the reality of the world that we live in. And we think, and this is a common question, why does a good God allow such evil in the world? And if that wasn't enough, with our present day technology, the whole world has shrunk. I mean, we are in a time of information overload. And we are gaining information and news about the world at a rapid pace, instantly. 
I can pick up my phone right now and go ahead and scroll through the areas, uh, different feeds I have and different news sources I have, and I could read about tragedy, not just in my own backyard, but all around the world. And it's one after another after another. And with the world so, so shrunken through technology and the difficulties of life, here's what happens. A person becomes numb to the tragedy of life. Because quite frankly, we just don't want to feel it. We can't feel it. And so what happens is, it's common to be asleep to the reality of God, numb to God, numb to the pain of other someone else, and, and as I flip through and all the things, I, I'm just becoming numb to more and more issues because they're so repetitive. And so we watch the news and we go, oh, another riot, oh, more fires, oh, another murder, oh, another tragedy, another robbery, and it doesn't even seem to affect us anymore. And as a result, many people have become mad antagonistic in our culture, upset, they become hypercritical, even to the point of laughing and mocking God. Think about it in our own community just a few days ago. Just a few days ago, I received a text from a family in our church, an urgent text. Something's happening over at Rangeview High School. I have, my kids are there. Pray. And so I start praying, and I start looking. I happened to be studying that day, so I started looking on the, online. I couldn't find anything except the police were dispatched over there. And then over time, we saw things unfold. And what had happened is some kid went to school thinking it was funny with a BB gun and put the whole school, teachers, kids, everyone on campus into a state of terror. And, you know, you might have seen the, the, the news story, and by the time you saw the news story, it was, it was just, oh, kid with BB gun, everybody's safe. And then you kind of think, oh, man, oh, it's kid with BB gun. What's his problem? What was he thinking? And actually miss the fact that terror gripped some kids' lives that day and teachers because you know as well as I do in our community that this is no laughing matter. It's no laughing matter around the world, but just up the street here, we had a theater that was terrorized. I don't know if you remember, but 40 plus people from our church, 40 plus people were in one of those two theaters when that happened. We forget perhaps years ago what happened across town at Columbine or a few years ago out over in the mountains here and on and on the list can go because we just become numb to it and it's just, oh, another issue at a school. Well, it wasn't just another issue at a school. We had kids from our church there now, now, I personally didn't have kids from our church, my kids there because I've raised my kids into adulthood already. But in a very real way, I did have my kids at that school because the kids of this church, I, I, I treat them like they're my kids. I take my role as pastor very seriously, and I love your kids. And, and even though there are kids that aren't in this church yet of parents that aren't saved, I love the kids of this community. I want to see them saved. I want to see them rescued. And so that, that affected me because... Because you've got parents there. You know, one of the first calls, one of the first texts I sent out uh, was, hey, can we get a pastor over there? And what a blessing it was to find out that he was already there before I even text. And then we got another one over there. And then we're starting to minister and we're praying. And then we have parents from our church that are there. So they're ministering and they're praying as the kids were evacuated, I think, to a King Supers parking lot. And there they were. And this was all happening in our backyard, church. That's our backyard. And we go, praise God they were safe. But you know, triggers of PTSD came back to our city. Kids are forever fearful now. It, it's not like when we went to school, church. It's not. I, I recall when I was in school. And you know, the big thing that there were two things that we were all worried about in California. The big one, which is earthquake. So what did they tell us to do? The big one, go stand in a doorway. 
All right, that's going to save me. Stand in a doorway, 30 kids in a doorway. Then they also, we used to do training for the big one, the nuclear holocaust that was coming. So what did they tell us to do? Hide under the desk. But it's the kids today, it's not like that. This is a very real tragedy. Even though everyone's safe and we praise God for that, there were kids affected. There were parents affected. And a city either responds by rising up. You know, I was reading as well on the Aurora police blotter. I mean, we thank God for the men and women that serve as policemen and firemen and paramedics that in our community, yes, we do. These men and women, some of you, these men and women are trained to run into danger, not to run away from danger. And so I don't know the exact number because I should have looked it up, but like 65 cars or 65, I think it was 65 cars or policemen were, were dispatched to the school, as they should be. They're taking care. It was code red. But what that meant in our city, though, is that it delayed another 75 911 calls because of the resources being brought here. So, like, these things, I, I know we just saw the news. I know we just saw the news, and we go, oh, man, that kid. But that kid's got something wrong, too, when he wasn't thinking. And, and so tragedy awakens people. And for us as believers, it should, awaken, it should awaken us. We shouldn't just write things off. We shouldn't just become so political. We shouldn't just become so critical. We shouldn't just, no, we should go to our knees in prayer and ask God how he's gonna use us in our community. Because what happened at Rangeview just a few days ago, praise God, no one was hurt. But that's not normal. It's not right. And yet that's the world in which we live. And we have the hope of Jesus Christ in us so that we might begin to, you see, it's a seriousness. And people begin, I know for a fact, people on that property, after they're evacuated, began to think about God again. They were wakened up. They were awakened to the reality of the brevity of life and the danger of life. And you know as well as I do that life has a way of lulling us to sleep. And it doesn't take some situation at Rangeview to open us up. Sometimes it's in our own lives. Personal tragedy. You know, when tragedy hits home, close to home, people really start to reflect on life. They begin to reflect on what their life is, but then there is that always temptation to just be mad. Maybe that's you today. You're just mad at God. Life has been hard. Let me just tell you, I'm sorry that life has been hard. It is. It is incredibly hard. Sin has so wrecked this world. Yeah, it's true. It's, life is easier for others. It's true. Some people have it harder than others, yes. But here's the thing I've learned over the years. Everyone suffers. Everyone, believer, unbeliever alike, the millionaire and the one that owes millions, everyone suffers. No one gets a pass. The wages of sin is and always will be death and destruction and difficulty. And if you're here today and you're asking, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why has a good God allowed bad things to happen? Listen, it is sin that has caused such havoc in the world today. And even on a smaller scale, it's our sin that has hurt others and hurt ourselves from time to time. And as we read of our Jesus learning obedience through suffering, we too learn obedience through suffering. That bears repeating just like Jesus, we learn obedience through suffering. 
Thank you for joining us today as we study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. Our friend in the ministry, Pastor Skip Heitzig, has a great book that we'd like to get into your hands, and it's our featured resource this month. It's called How to Study the Bible and Enjoy It. Maybe you find it difficult to study the Word, aren't getting a lot out of it, or enjoying it for that matter. Well, in his friendly, relevant style, Pastor Skip provides wonderful, simple-to-use tools to help you enjoy Bible study. And we'll send it your way for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for your support, as it allows us to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed, and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. How has Abounding Grace blessed you? We want to hear. And it's easy to share your thoughts and prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. We'll return to Hebrews next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 